0: Well, today, before we get into the word, is uh, today's September 11th, and so we remember those things. It's also the day, the the day, the date that my mother-in-law died, and so it's kind of an interesting time for us. Yesterday, in the newspaper, does anybody read newspapers? By the way, does anybody actually hold a piece of paper? There's a few of us left. I I read most of my news online and listen to it and all the rest, but I have to touch a piece of paper once in a while. And so I get the Wall Street Journal. There was a whole page, no, newspaper, the whole page, that cost enormous amounts of money, about a song written at the death of a wife and child. It occurred 90 years ago this week. And it's an old African-American song called Precious Lord, Hold My Hand. Do you remember that song? Hold My Hand, Precious Lord. It's the first song Aretha Franklin recorded when she was 14 years old. And it's about a man, I didn't know the story, I've heard the song many times, about a man who uh, 90 years ago lost his wife in childbirth and then the next day lost the child. And so in the same casket, were two lives and he was totally uh, devastated, ruined and all the rest and someone invited him to come to an event and there was a piano there and he was a piano player and he just started playing the piano and all of a sudden this came out and he had a friend come and they wrote it together and it really healed his life and uh, just amazing. I mean, many of you don't know the song. If you're not out of uh, either the old gospel songs or the African-American community, you may not know the song because we don't sing it anymore. We probably should, but just it made me realize as I was then reading about 9-11 and kind of the commemorations of that as well, that there are a lot of people that are sad right now. There are a lot of people that have had loss, and there's a lot of people that are uh, in or around tragedy. And so I thought today we'd just take a moment before we open the Word and start a new series uh, that we would just pause and pray for a moment. Um, You may not have been involved in 9-11 except seeing it. Many people in our congregation were just children or not even alive at that point in time. But those of us who were, it's a an important moment in our life as we remember that but if there's anything you need to pray for right now just in your own life let's pause now and do it so just take a moment and pray Father, I know from just the quietness in this room that there are people that are praying to you uh, that are seeking your help and uh, your comfort. Maybe there are some in this room who are disappointed, are fearful, are afraid, are discouraged. And Father, I pray that you would encourage them. I thank you, Father, for those that you have brought through the fire that we had just sung about, another in the fire, that you were there with us in the fire. And I thank you for that, and I pray that you would be with those who have moved beyond and are working through the issues of their life so that we can move forward. And I pray that every person in this room would not leave today without leaving those issues here in this room and moving forward with you. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. We have prayer afterwards, so if you need to have more prayer, you'd like to pause by yourself up here, or you'd like to have someone to pray with you, we would love to do that with you. And right after the last song, there's people that come up, and just come on up, just wait a few minutes as others are exiting that way. You just come forward, and we would love for you to be a part and for us to pray with you as well. If you have your Bibles in any form, and if you don't, take the one in front of you to go to Galatians the book of Galatians, we are going to spend five weeks in one verse. Now, we never do this, so if you're visiting us, you go, wow, that's a little too much detail, but there is some great things in chapter five of Galatians. If you don't have a Bible, it's page 916 in uh, your Bible there that's in front of you as well. It's Galatians 5, verse twenty. 2 and 23, it's actually two verses, and it says here, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is an incredible passage of scripture. There are nine character qualities that are mentioned here. And what we're gonna do is I'm gonna do an introduction and take the first one, love, and then over the next four weeks after that, we'll take two at a time and work our way through these slowly. Originally, I thought I could do this very quickly. I thought, Two verses, I can get through this in two or three weeks. And then as I began to study these words and look at these words and understand them more, I realized we can't just rush through this stuff. We have got to pause and take our time and look at these, even though they're very familiar words and very familiar, it's a very familiar passage, but please understand we do need to take some time. So we will do that. One of the things I want us to look at as we introduce this is to realize as you believe, if you have belief in Jesus Christ, there are two things that surround your belief among many other things. Two things, I wanna share that. One is your opinions. And the other is your convictions. Now, do you know the difference between an opinion and a conviction? An opinion is just kind of a continuum of preferences and options and desires, you know. You have an opinion about this color or that color, that place to eat or this place to eat, that football team or this football team. You have opinions about that, right? And some are very heated and very important, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, does it? Seriously, it doesn't matter. It might matter to you at the moment in time, but ultimately it doesn't matter because it's just an opinion. Opinions are good and some are neutral, but it's how you respond in your opinions that's important. We're gonna talk about that in a moment with the fruit of the Spirit. The other is convictions. Convictions are rooted in the conscience, in your conscience, not conscious, but your conscience. It's a a part of who you are. It's something that you really believe in. It's my conviction. So where opinions are floating up here, convictions are deep-suited and they're very important. The problem is, how do we share our convictions with other people? What do we do with these convictions that we have? And that's where the fruit of the Spirit comes in. Paul, through God's inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us there are right ways and wrong ways to share and to live out our convictions. So it's good to have good convictions, it's good even to have good opinions. But if we give them out in the wrong way, then it's wrong, is it not? And let me give you an example, and I've shared this many times. We were talking about character a few weeks ago and character qualities, and all these are character qualities. Love is a character quality. And I said, there are four things you have to think about in a character quality, right? What does God say about that character quality? What do you think about the character quality? How do you feel about that character quality, and what are you doing about it? Love, what does God say about love? We'll talk about that in a minute. How do I think about love? How do I feel about love? What do I do about love? Does that make sense? Now, two questions come out of this understanding. The first question is this, are these character qualities, these nine that we're about to speak on over the next few weeks, are they acts of the will or are they emotions? Now, everybody goes, well, You know, the right answer is it's an act of the will. That's the theologically correct answer. But I have to tell you, it's both. You have to understand, it's both. Because if I went to my wife Elizabeth and go, I love you, I think. (laughs) No, I I just thought about it. It's an act of the will, I love you. Not very good, is it? Not too good but if I go, sweetheart, I love you more than life itself. See the passion coming out? It's my head and my heart coming out at the same time. You need both. Sometimes your head needs to control your heart. Sometimes your heart needs to control your head, but it is both. You need to be patient in your head and in your heart. You need to have self-control in your head and in your heart. And can I also say with your hands? So it's all of this. So Here's, here's an amazing thing we discover. We Americans love to do things that really don't help people. And we do it with money. No, I'm serious. This is unbelievable. There's a whole book on, that's titled, When Love Hurts. You can love people and hurt them. I've seen parents give too much money to their children and destroy them. Right? They give them money and they destroy them. Well, I love them. I'm giving them money. And they don't put any sense into this. Right? We do this with people across the world. Just Let's just solve the problem with money. Let's solve the problem with technology. Let's just throw it on because we love them and we use our hands without thinking through it and knowing what God would want us to do in our heart and knowing what God wants us to do. You see, it's all four things. We need to understand that sometimes when we talk about love, we can talk about it very stoically and very just, you know, here it is. I I struggle, I'm going to give you some points about love, and I go, well, love is much bigger than a couple of points, because there's the emotion behind it, there's the acting out of it. Same with faithfulness, same with goodness, same with gentleness, same with self-control. So though we only spend a few minutes on it, please understand it's a much bigger subject that takes a lifetime to make sense. Now the other question as we begin, is this a final list? Is this all of the fruit of the Spirit, or is this just some of the fruit of the Spirit? Because, and, and I never thought of that before until I started studying it, but the word hope is not in there. The word forgive is not in there. The word give is not in there, but it's all throughout the Bible. The Bible says, faith, hope, and love. It's right in the middle of those that triad of importance, but it's not in the fruit of the Spirit. And so I can't get into that argument because maybe there should be some others. Maybe this was the things that the Galatian church needed to work on specifically. I don't know, it doesn't say, but if we can get all nine of these down, we don't need to worry about the other ones. Let me tell you, if you have love, you'll be generous. If you have joy, you'll be hopeful. You know, there may be some words here and you go, "Yeah." and and maybe if you wanna work on those other words, that's good, but uh, over the next four or five weeks, we're gonna work on these words and really see if we can start practicing them. And I think as we practice these, other good things will happen that we will practice as well. So I don't know the answer. Should it be three or four or five more? It could be many, many more. Now the question is, what is fruit? What is fruit? The fruit of the Spirit. Now it's a metaphor, it's a picture, right? It's obviously not apples, oranges, pears, and mangoes. It's a picture. And in the Bible, fruit is pictured as many things. Can I give you a couple of examples? First of all, people are called fruit. Didn't uh, Jesus say the fields are white unto harvest? What he was talking about was not the fields out there of fruit and vegetables and grains and all the barley. What he was talking about is that the people were ready. The fruit of the people are ready to harvest. It was an amazing thing. He also uh, in the Bible, it talks about giving is a fruit. The fact that when you give, there are fruit, there is fruit, I should say, singular, there is fruit that comes out of giving. It produces something. That's why I always like to use the word ge- um, being generous, because generous, the word gener means to produce. Giving produces something. It produces fruit. And, and in some cases, if you smother somebody with too much giving... It could smother them with too much fruit. And as we know, you just don't want to have too much of it in that sense. The gospel is fruit. Colossians chapter 1, verse 6 says, All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit. The gospel bears fruit. And then, to build to your point about praise and about just the whole understanding of who God is and what we just did. In Hebrews, it says, "'Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, "'the fruit of our lips.'" Our words produce fruit. It can be bad fruit, it can be good fruit, it can be praiseworthy fruit, it can be deadly fruit. So our mouths, we can produce fruit. And then of course, the fruit of the Spirit. This is the most comprehensive list there, and it's important. Now, as we do this and look at this, I want you to think of two words. They're theological words, but they're not that big. One word is legalism. Have you ever heard of the word legalism? And I'm thinking in terms of church world, not in terms of the law in the United States, but legalism is the practice of following all the rules. Now you go, that's good. Well, that's not what legalism totally is. What they do is a legalist would follow the rules and then they would add some more rules to help them follow those rules. And then later on, they would add a few more rules to help them follow those rules which help them follow the rules. That's why in the Old Testament, there are 10 commandments and there's over 600 other rules so that they could obey the set 10 commandments. It took 600 rules back then to obey the 10. That's what legalism is, is that it's the pouring on of rule after rule after rule. Churches love to do this, don't we? Well, you have to dress a certain way, you gotta sing a certain way, you gotta give a certain way, you gotta do a certain way so that you can be spiritual. No, God's called us to be spiritual. Now we say you have to do this and then you have to do that, you have to do this. And all of a sudden we're worried about doing this and not doing this. Just hold that thought. The opposite of that in theological terms is license. Now not your driver's license, License theologically means you abandon all the rules. You abandon the rules, and then you abandon them by doing other bad things that also... So it's the total opposite. If you think of legalism as kind of building this house of cards, license is just going down, down, down. And we've all seen it, right? Sin begets more sin. Bad behavior begets more bad behavior. So if you're not going to follow what God has called us, and I don't like to use the word rules, but if you're not going to follow it, you're practicing license, and it's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse, and down and down and down. So what is the leveler of all this? Assuming you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the leveler of this is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit keeps you from being legalistic, and it also pulls you up when you're doing something that is wrong. God has called us to love. He's called us to joy. He's called us to have peace. He's called us to be patient, do you see that? Or am I called just to follow your rules that you added to the rules, who added to more rules? Am I called to do that? Or am I going, hey, I'm just gonna be free from it all and do whatever I want? No, the fruit of the Spirit allows us to have that normal bubble in it. So that's what's important. One more thing, just to introduce this and we'll get into love in a moment. How many of you are in aviation? Anybody in the aviation field? Raise your hand. I, I really like you people. It is such an amazing field. What I learned something this week that I never knew, that when you're looking this way, the numbers you use are in the metric system. And when you're looking this way, it's an imperial feet. So you're 40,000 feet above. You know, we're flying at 40,000 feet. They don't say 20,000 meters or whatever the number would be. They say feet, but they talk about we have 1,000 kilometers to go, you see. And when they fill the tanks, they're filling the tanks with kilograms and kilos and not pounds and things like that. But every once in a while it gets mixed and problems occur. And sometimes they use pounds instead of, and we know this, NASA did it years ago with a Mars landing, others have done it as well. And we kind of tend to do that too sometimes. We kind of get legalism mixed with license. God has set us free, but yet we have rules to do, which is it, and we kind of mix them up. The fruit of the Spirit is there to level it all off, to let us know, because can I tell you, if you are loving people, if you're joyful, if you have a spirit of peace and of peacemaking, these things are gonna start to filter away. If you don't, then all of a sudden, these things get worse and worse and worse. I hope this makes sense. Let's look at love now for a moment, and I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 3. It's page 960 if you get the Bible in front of you. Keep it simple. And I want to talk about love for a few moments. Let me give you a couple of misunderstandings about love, and then we're going to talk about love, and then I'm going to read the Scripture and see what God says about love. So, first of all, three misunderstandings about love. It's not in the Bible. It's just the reality, just observation. Number one... People think love develops automatically. I got married. I love my wife. It is not automatic. Nothing about love is automatic. It's a misconception. Well, of course I love and name whatever. No, it's not of course. It is an act of the will and of the heart to love. Now there you might go, oh, but when I had my child, I loved him or her, of course you did. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about other relationships as well. So number one, a misconception is that love develops automatically. Number two, many people believe because they understand the definition of love and the need to love that they will naturally love. It's like, well, I know what love is. Everyone in this room knows what love is. Everyone can define love. Everyone can give examples of love. So everybody must naturally know how to love. Well, they do know how to love, but do you love? Knowing how to love and loving are two different things. Please understand that. It's so important. And the scripture, whenever I do a marriage, and I just married my daughter and son-in-law last weekend, I always talk about that scripture in Ephesians says, this is a mystery you know, marriage is a mystery, love is a mystery. There's a mystery to it. If you ask every single person in here who's married to define the love in their marriage, it'll be a little different. It'll, even, even the good ones, it'll be different. Why? Because it's a mystery. And finally, in the misconceptions, few of us truly understand what it means when we don't love. When we don't love. What happens when we don't love? Can I say this? It's not that love is positive and not loving is neutral. Love is positive and not loving is negative. There is no neutrality with these fruits of the Spirit. Either you're doing it, and if you're not doing, the opposite is beginning to happen. If you're not loving, as God speaks, then the other is happening. It's no neutrality here. I remember I was on a trip with Elizabeth and we were doing a missions trip, we were in an Eastern European country where uh, there was a lot of uh, parentlessness, and I won't name the country, some of you are from that country, it's a great country, but a lot of orphanages in that country, and one of the things the church was, the ministry of the churches in the community was to go and hold babies in the nurseries of orphanages because they needed to be loved. They needed to be held. And so, and we helped fund cribs and all this kind of stuff so that these uh, basically, you know, almost babushka ladies could come in and hold the babies of the children because without it, they were in distress. Can you imagine just without being held, you're in distress? They knew this. The government knew it, the people knew it, scientists know it, psychologists know it, that babies need to be held. And one of the ministries of that, the churches that we were a part of then was to hold babies, because it's a positive thing. It needs to happen. There is, if without love, it's harmful. Without love is not neutral. Without love is harmful. So let's look at 1 John chapter 3. And let's start in verse 11. And I know that we have been Months ago, we were in First John, you go, well, Bill, you, you already preached on this. Well, that's okay, we're going to do it again. Because <laughs> once we get loved down, we can move on. I don't think if everybody in here got loved down, I would have skipped it and just said, we're all lovers, and let's move on. Cha- verse 11 of chapter 3, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own evil deeds, his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he, Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth." My friends, if you get those few verses, we can all go home early. Let's go through them. Can I just give you four thoughts on these verses? The proposition of love. What is, he says here, this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. That's what God says about love. Remember, what does God say? What should we think about it? How should we feel about it? What should we do about it? What does God say? We should love one another. There is nothing um, ambiguous about this statement, is there? They'll know we are Christians by our love. I've given you a new commandment to love one another. Here we are at the end of the New Testament. This is one of the last books written in the entire Bible. 3,000 years of great writing going on. You quoted Job, one of the first books written. I'm quoting 1 John, one of the last books written. And it talks about, you need to love. There's no question about it. That is the proposition. So then he goes and gives number two, a negative example. I love when the Bible gives a negative example because the negative example is so negative, you go, I'll never do that. We should not be like Cain. Now I'm gonna branch out here for a moment. I would say no one in this room is like Cain in the sense that he or she murdered their brother. I could be wrong, but I would think pretty much the people that are online and you people probably have not murdered your brother. So why did he put this in here? Who was of the evil one and murdered his brother? And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. He brings in this sense of jealousy, this sense of greed, this sense of God likes him better than me. There's a lot behind this thing of love and hatred. It's not just... I love you, or I hate you, there's a lot of in-between nuance. And you see that Cain didn't begin by just murdering his brother. This could have been weeks, months, years, of going on and seeing how one acted well and the other didn't, and it destroyed him. Now, it destroyed him all the way to commit murder, but it may destroy you only a little bit. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Everyone, verse 15, who hates his brother is a murderer. So, love one another. That's what I want, God says. You hate somebody, you are not a murderer. You are like a murderer. He's not putting you as the murderer. He's not saying you need capital punishment here. But just please understand that you are the opposite of what he is saying. And he gives that example And then in verse 16, number three, the positive example. What is the positive example of love? And this is always what the Bible does. It goes to the extreme, right? And what is the extreme here? It's Jesus Christ. Well, heaven help us. None of us are Jesus Christ, right? But what he's saying is we should strive to be like Christ. He laid down his life for us. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Cain killed his brother for himself. Christ laid down his life for me and for you. What a positive example, and here's what he says. You've gotta get the humor of this. I think, you know, some people think John had a sense of humor, and I think he really did. He goes, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Now what he's saying, the ultimate act of love is to lay down your life for your brother. Now you may or may not have that opportunity to do so, so is love only laying down your life for a brother? No, that is the ultimate laying down uh, your life, is the ultimate love. But then he goes on in verse 17 and 18 and gives us something we can do. But if anyone has the world's goods, and sees his brother or sister in need, and this is not the physical, f- familial brother and sister, this is another, someone else, sees a brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You see, that's why I said, is, does the fruit of the Spirit have other things in it? This is generosity, this is giving. If you are loving you are a giver. If you are someone who loves, you are giving. Do you see that? And then he goes, okay, little children, let us not love only in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Let us not just do it here or just do it here or just do it here, but we also have to do it here. Love requires an action. There's an action attached to our love. You and I have to believe, God said, love one another. We have to understand it, believe it. We have to, if I can use this word, feel it, sense it, have emotion towards it, and then we actually have to do it. And when we do it, we are experiencing the fruit of the Spirit. Now, you notice he doesn't call these the fruits of the Spirit. He doesn't say love is a fruit, that's the mango, and joy is the fruit, that's the apple, and peace is the fruit, and that's the pear, and all that. He goes, this is the fruit. He wants us to have all of them. Now, I usually don't have you turn back and forth to a bunch of places, so if you don't want to turn, feel free not to. But I always like to look at 1 Corinthians 13 when we talk about love. 1 Corinthians 13, I don't have the page number memorized for those that are using our Bible. And by the way, if you do not own a Bible, you are welcome to take the one in front of you. If you own a Bible and don't have it, borrow the Bible and put it back when you're done and use it again next week. But if you don't have a Bible, take that Bible. It's a gift from us. We love giving away Bibles. 1 Corinthians 13 is an incredible chapter I wanna start in verse four, because this gives us the attributes and the understanding of what love is. So what is it that we are to love one another with? This gives, and it's not a comprehensive list, it's not the only thing, but again, if you can do all of these, I'm I'm satisfied that you're loving. (laughs) Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And if that's not enough, verse seven, love bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things, love endures all things. Verse 8, love never fails. The word that that fail is love never ends. In other words, if you are a loving person, it's durative. In other words, there's a duration to it I, don't, I love you today, and I don't have to love you today, tomorrow. I love you tomorrow, and then I love you the next day, and now I'm loving you, but I don't have to love you anymore. I'm only loving you. And this is kind of how we are with our love. We are very segmented with our love. Now, you can't do all things to all people, but God has called us to love one another. And if we do this, this is the amazing thing, is I want us... Boca Raton Community Church. Can I just talk about us and you online? Just us. I want us to be known as a loving community in this community or city we live in. Wouldn't that be incredible if they looked at us and said, you people love each other. And I can tell you, we're on our way. We are on our way. People are starting to say this now. Our church was an island for years. I, I was a part of being on the island. You know, there's a lot of pastors. I've, I talked to a group of pastors earlier. They, they put me on a Zoom call with 80 people, missionaries and pastors that are struggling across the United States, and said, just talk to them. So I did that this week. And I realized as I was preparing for it, is some pastors and churches look only inward. If I can solve all your problems, we'll be okay. And then others look outward. See, are we looking outward or are we looking inward? And can I tell you, it's both. And actually, we need to be looking upward, outward, inward. But some churches only do one of the three. And each one's good, but you need all three. We need to be obviously looking upward, our relationship to God. We need to be looking inward, our relationship with the brothers and sisters here at Boca Tone Community Church. But we are called to go outward, and be a part of the Go Church, and be a part. And all you, When you go, all you got to do is share love, share love. How do you do that? Let me give you one very practical way of sharing love. Can I do that? Out there. Sharing it in here, there's hundreds of ways. Sharing out there, there's hundreds of ways, but people go, okay, Bill, how do you do it? Can I give you one word? Pray, pray. What do I mean by that? I mean, pray for people and then tell them you're praying for them. Don't, if you're afraid to share the gospel with them at first, if you're afraid to tell them all about Christ and the Bible and all the things, all you gotta do is go, do you know this morning I prayed for you? I prayed for you and your husband. I prayed for your kids. I know your mother is aging. I prayed for her today and then text them and tell them. Pray for somebody and either call them, see them at the office, see them at the pool, see them wherever, and tell them, and you will be amazed at what happens. It is unbelievable. This morning after my prayer time, I'm texting a bunch of people, telling them I prayed for them. Some were inward here, some were outward there. Just do that, and you will see things happen like nothing can happen. Some of us can you know talk to the anybody about Jesus and some of you go I'm really afraid to talk about Jesus well then talk about praying to Jesus and I bet you people I've never been denied I think one time actually when I said can I pray for you one time hundreds and hundreds of times pray and then mean it and pray for people and then ask them how they're doing. And then all of a sudden, and I'll tell you this will happen. Why are you praying for me? Share the gospel. It is just a beautiful opportunity. Because here's the thing as we close. I'm not gonna tell you how to love. You know how to love. I'm just gonna say, do it. Just do it. A few years ago, it's fall. You know, in South Florida, we have no fall, right? Fall means it goes from 98 to 94. That's fall. You know, at some point in the middle or the end of October, it gets back down into the 80s, and you go, "Yeah, we're heading into winter." Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, "Has it been hot lately?" So. We got to experience fall a couple years ago. I was, we were up in Chicago and our friend said, hey, let's go out way west of Chicago. I said, yeah, like into the farms and we're gonna take you to an apple orchard. Yes, I've never been to an apple orchard. Didn't know what an apple orchard was. I thought apples came in public. I had no idea <laughs> that apples actually grow on trees. So we go to this apple orchard. I can't even tell you the name of it. It had a carnival and it had swings, and it sold everything. You know, apple butter, and apple cider, and apple pancakes, and apple fritters, and those little apple things that were so good, right? We had the time of our life for about two, three hours, and we left, and you know what? I never saw an apple. (laughs) And I never saw an apple tree. There's a name for this. It's called agritourism. It's a whole industry where you don't have to see the corn or the apples or the oranges or the mangoes or the peaches. They just want you to experience the taste and the feel of it without actually having it. And can I tell you, sometimes churches are that. Have we seen any apples fall in our hand lately? Well, you smelled apple cider. We can make the apple pancakes here. We can do all that stuff here. I just want to see some apples. I want to see some apples in the bushels. I want to see the fruit of the spirit of love occurring, not just the things around it, which are all good. It's all good stuff. I loved it, but I didn't see an apple tree. And you can come to church for years and not really experience the Almighty God. You can experience everything about the Almighty God, and, but not experience Him yourself. We are here that you experience the Almighty God. Oh yeah, we'll give you some apple fritters too. But it's not about that, it's about experiencing Him. Because if you experience Him, His Spirit will give you the fruit. And as I said before, people are fruit. And all of a sudden, we're going to see apples falling into our hands that God can use as well. Do you believe it? Amen and amen. Let's pray together.